So what was it like when you first met your spouse? You might have felt like a star landed from the heavens and this is it. I know who I'm going to marry. Or maybe you met him or her and the years went by and you suddenly realized we're going from friends to dates to, oh, this might work. Whatever your story, we're here to celebrate it with you. Welcome to Season 3 of the Loving Well Podcast. I'm John Fuller, and once again, we're with Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin. They're in charge of our marriage department here at Focus on the Family. And uh, throughout the podcast, we're going to be celebrating love stories and discussing how you can have a Christ-centered marriage. And since we're talking about meeting your spouse, why, Greg and Erin, should couples reflect back on that love story? Maybe it's been a while and they just they haven't gone there. Why? Yeah. There's such a powerful impact of looking back and remembering that moment of what was it about this person that made your heart flutter or caught your attention. It's important to look back because there's times as we're moving forward that there's conflict, there's stress, our eyes are on many different things. But just to refocus back to go, oh, yeah, that's what I really enjoyed about him, Hmm. about her. And I want to look for those qualities in them even today as I experience those moments each and every day. Yeah. There was an adventurous spirit to Dina when I first met her. We were in the parking lot assembling for a weekend campout as a singles group. And she drove up in a 66 white Chevy pickup truck, stepped out, barefoot, bib overalls, golden retriever in the back. And I just thought, how interesting. I'd like to get to know her. And I still have a golden retriever or Dina? It was uh, both. (laughs) They were both exceptional, actually. Oh, good. Um, I have a picture from that first camp out with her where she was off in the woods reading her Bible. And I just thought, I want to get to know this girl better. And God has allowed me to get to know her better over the years, and I'm so grateful. And I need to just uh, keep looking for, as you were saying, that sense of adventure that she has and embrace that and call it out so she Mm. can have permission to be adventurous like she was. Well, as you reflect back on your love story, uh, we want to go ahead and hear a conversation Jim Daly had with Rhonda Stoppe as she shared a pretty fun story about meeting her husband, Steve. You were young. You were 14. I think Steve was older. I'll let you describe that story. But how did you meet Steve? Let's start there. Well, it's a long story. And uh, (laughs) I was going to a Christian school in the San Francisco Bay Area. He was away at college in Denver. He came home, and his parents had moved to the town where this school was. So he just (laughs) kind of was the new guy at church. And if you've been in a singles group, you know when a new guy walks in, there, it's knows. fresh meat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and there's usually way more women than men. A fresh men. challenge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. You get the idea. But, you know, here comes Steve Stoppy, hottie with a body. And these girls are like, oh. And so he just thinks it's a very friendly church. <laughs> and it was. Oh, my goodness. And, and he starts taking these girls out. And I'm watching from afar. And honestly, uh, the first time I ever met him, the first time I ever talked to him, he was working on the buses in the back of the church. Mm. So I walked in the back of where the school was looking for my sister, and he was working on the bus. And so I said, have you seen my sister? And he says, your sister who? And she happened to be dating his brother at the time. I'm like, she's dating your brother, my brother who? And he was just banter. He was giving me a hard time. My mom was waiting in the car. My mom was irritated. I'm like, I got to go. And as I walked away, I had a fleeting thought, I'm going to marry him. And I was like... I was embarrassed. I was like just shy of 15 years old. 
I didn't think that about any guy on the street. Right. And I was like, what? That's embarrassing. And then, but I had the hugest crush on him from then on. So I hadn't seen him in a while. He had a 1969 Mach 1, which oh, yeah. he sold when that we got married. That makes your heart just go pitter I know. In fact, there's a video on my website of us telling our love story. He talks more about his 1969 Mach 1 <laughs> than he does about me. <laughs> But it's okay. <laughs> I you haven't taken that, that personally. <laughs> no, because I love it as woman. much. What a woman. Incredible, Steve. You're so blessed. <laughs> He's out there watching this. But yeah, so anyway. So I was a cheerleader for this Christian school. Hadn't seen Steve in a while. And I we pulled up to a game that we were going to play a basketball game. It was in Fremont. And he was on the basketball team. Well, he was... Uh, alumni. Oh, okay. Because he's already right. Up. He's gone. Uh, so I saw this 1969 Mediterranean blue Mach One with a shaker hood. It sounds like you might love this car yeah. more than your I husband. Tell the story, so it is a part of our romance story. Man, you even know the right terms. But I saw the car and I knew it was his. There's no mistaking. And I got a little flutter. Oh, Stoppy's here. I'm going to see Stoppy. So I walk in this gymnasium, and he's playing the alumni game for the school he graduated from. So as I walk in, it's a small gymnasium. He's doing a layup right toward the door that I'm walking in. So he does this layup, and then he kind of does this kind of freezes in spot instant. And we lock <laughs> eyes, and he gives me that smile and a wink, and he goes down to finish the game. And I'm like, he saw me. He saw me. He's going to come talk to me. What am I going to say? Trying to think of whatever clever thing I could say. So I go over to my side of the gymnasium. After the game, he goes, I guess, showers, whatever. Finally, he comes out, and I'm like, oh, he's going to come talk to me. And he puts a girl on his arm, and he walks up the bleachers, introducing this girl to all of oh, his my goodness. alumni. And I'm like, and I look down at my cheerleading uniform, my teenage self, and I'm like, he is never, ever going to notice me. I'm too young. And that was, he didn't even say goodbye to me. You didn't even say goodbye to me. <laughs> It's a good thing there's a wall between yeah, there's us. A, there's a wall a of, glass. of glass between these two. <laughs> and I was sad. But what I love about that story, it reminds me of how I longed for his attention. Oh, interesting. And it, it's what I call magical moments. There's, We forget once we're married how much we longed for that person to look our way. You know, Rhonda is so fun to talk with and to hear and so genuine. And, Greg, there is some truth in what she said about longing for the attention of that person you're interested, right? Oh, I remember exactly being in that place of longing for Aaron to give me some sort of attention because she so impressed me many, many times as I started to get to know her. But probably my very favorite is we were both camp counselors in the Midwest. Yeah. And at this particular camp, it was on a big lake, and so the the counselors were instructed to tell the kids sort of this scary story to to scare them from ever going out into the lake Beyond by the themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they called this story the Slough Lady. Okay, it's about some scary woman who lived in the lake. It was quite effective. You mean she wasn't for real? (laughs) Not that that we're aware of. We haven't seen her yet. And notice he didn't say the name of the camp, and there's a reason for that. (laughs) And so so they would take the kids down, sit them on the dock, their little feet hanging over the edge uh, to tell the story. So Aaron and I were just hanging out, and we see that this counselor is telling the story. And so Aaron and I actually sneak through some grass and – and get oh, no. under the oh. dock. So sort of at that moment of revealed where the counselor screamed out, and the slew lady, 
Aaron pops out from under this dock screaming. Oh, no. So terrified, these little boys. They <laughs> scattered in every direction, screaming, probably soiling themselves. And I was observing all of this going, oh, my, I am so impressed. I so want to be dating this girl. You and wanted that kind of drama. Yeah, you, exactly. You were, you were in, okay, that's awesome. I just awesome. anybody that could do that to some kids, that person <laughs> would be amazing to marry. <laughs> in your counseling <laughs> practices, have you seen any of these kids since <laughs> <I> then? <laughs> They're all in some variety of trauma yeah. care right now. Yeah, I was actually the camp yeah. nurse, and it's shocking to me. But it took me a while to convince Aaron that, she needed to date me. Well, yeah. So how did you get her to pay attention to you? I mean, she obviously was pretty secure in who she was if she was willing to show off like that. I don't we know We spent what a I lot did. of time together. Yeah. But I was dating his roommate. Oh, that's... Oh, that all <laughs> So what, when did back. it turn? When did you start giving him attention? Do you remember? It was after we graduated and we went on a cruise and I was, an, I was nannying for John, Dr. John Trent uh-huh. um, for his two little girls yeah. and... I don't know that I was the greatest nanny either <laughs> because I we had so much fun on that cruise because everybody else was a little bit older right, right. and it was the two you of us. You stood out as the two singles. Yeah, and we Me just and ended up. Lady. And, and did you get <laughs> the slew lady to pay attention to you? <laughs> Finally. And Ironically, I can on water. <laughs> yeah, I can remember how fun he was and that that yeah. just drew me. Towards that's a, him. That's important. So after all that longing, finally it paid off. Yeah, there you go. And does she still pay? Never mind. We'll move on. <laughs> so uh, I think it'd be good for us to address uh, the spiritual component of life and the importance of praying with and for your spouse. Um, let's go ahead and turn a corner and hear now from Lisa Anderson of our Boundless show. She had a roundtable conversation with three Focus colleagues, Ashley, Austin, and the one and only Greg Smalley to talk about prayer. So I want to kind of kick it off uh, the conversation with just your general feelings around this. Do you remember kind of as I was reflecting back, remember being kind of taught this or having this feeling that this is maybe something you should do? Or how do you remember processing that as a as a young adult who was single and maybe had prospects or didn't? I remember hearing this kind of a message a couple times throughout youth group. And so it would kind of motivate me for a week <laughs> to to do that. I mean, I'd, I'd hear it and go, yeah, that sounds like a great thing. But mm-hmm. honestly, that was nothing that I did with any sort of consistency, which looking back, I mean, that makes me sad. I love my choice. I love my wife of 27 years. Um, but I remember talking to my own daughter. So I have three daughters and my oldest is married. And we, we talk about that. I, I really didn't know to what degree maybe she was praying for her future husband. I know my wife and I would pray for each of our daughters and our son, their their future spouse, who was really cool. Um, years ago, I was cleaning out our basement, and I ran across a, a, a box of Taylor, my oldest, her stuff, just kind of thumbing through it. And I found her prayer list that she had been praying since like 15 mm. for her future husband right before this young man who was going to ask for a hand in marriage. And so I actually took that made a copy. And as he was asking me, I actually walked him through and said, how cool is this? That here's what Taylor's been, been praying for. And let me tell you what, as I know you, this is what I see in, in how you line up with so many of the, of the important ones. So I, I, I love it in that way. I wish that I would have 
being able to do that more um, before I got married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you actually walk through it and make sure that he qualified, like based on what was on the list? Yeah, and, there were some the really, checklist. <laughs> yeah, there were some good ones, some important <laughs> ones that I would good. certainly highlight. There were some others that I laughed and made him laugh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> good. It, it, yeah, it's a great exercise. Awesome. Right on. Well, I my family didn't go to church growing up, so the whole concept of hearing this in youth group didn't didn't come to me. Hmm. Uh, I didn't hear it until I was 27 years old. Wow. And I was working here at Focus on the Family. And someone mentioned making a list of your the qualities that you want in your future spouse. And so I did that. I made quite the list. It was like six pages in my journal. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, kept adding to it every time something would go awry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was something I didn't learn until later on. But then once I started, I see the value of it, definitely. Okay. I was definitely in the group of, uh, I heard it in youth group, I should be praying for a spouse, but I was young and immature and didn't so much care Mm -hmm. if I was praying for my spouse Mm -hmm. at that time. Um, I'd say that came about uh, later when I wasn't dating at all and kind of was trying to figure out myself a little bit more and then just kind of, I never really prayed for qualities in someone else, but more so just to find someone that also was a believer in Jesus and Mm -hmm. that valued that as much as I did. Yeah. Well, and that actually brings me to, I'd love to find out, you know, what your expectations were in prayer. Like to your point, Austin, were you praying for specific things or were you more just like, God, if you can just get me married, that'd be great. (laughs) You know, kind of what, (laughs) what did that look like as you kind of started understanding the value of prayer? um, What things really did come to mind and were of importance to you? When I think back, um, what I've heard over the years um, is a little concerning because I, I really do think it's it's not just that you're praying, but what you're praying so matters. I, I think what we're not trying to do is to pray for the one Beca- because God's not a matchmaker. He he. It's not like there's this one person roaming the earth. God, bring me that person in my life. I think on the other hand, God makes it really clear that he gives us free choice, free will. And, and thus we want to include God in that process as we're, we're, we're looking for a spouse into that level of decision-making. I mean, that, that's the value. It's, it's training us to include God in our most important decisions. But I just don't believe that we need to be praying for the one. It's it's praying for specific things. Here are the three, four big non-negotiables that I really believe is I've been praying with the Lord. I really feel so strongly, Austin, like you talked about, that that this person needs to be um, a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, God doesn't say a whole lot about premarital but what he does say is that we need to marry someone um, who is a believer, who is a Christian. And so that is important to him. Mm-hmm. So praying for those kinds of, of really, really super high level, important qualities. I think that's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I prayed for qualities. Definitely. Um, not just the one, as Greg was saying, but those qualities where someone who is safe, someone who is definitely a believer. Um, my, I grew up in an alcoholic home, so I wanted someone who was not a big drinker or partier. And those were really important to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Hmm. Wow. I had a relationship a long time ago that when it ended, um, it was, I realized that it was super selfish, the whole relationship. And it was all for 
what did I want from my girlfriend? And that was when that ended, I definitely was trying to change how I thought about having a relationship with someone and how that wasn't super important to me. And I boiled it all down to one thing that I could feasibly pray about. And I knew that it was exactly what I wanted because a relationship without Christ at the center is probably going to end in failure. And that's definitely the one thing that I don't want when I do get married. So, mm-hmm. And I think, Lisa, too, that it... The, the more we can identify what are those one, two, three, four kind of biggies, those, those non-negotiables, mm-hmm. things that, that have to be a part of this, I think there's also then some personal accountability to then go, so how am I displaying those things? Mm-hmm. How am I working on those? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not looking for that perfect person. We need to become that that person. So I think it also helps to clarify what's important. Thus, how am I growing in, in those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like, I mean, even as I think of, of qualities, you know, that I would pray for, I always think of how um, I had a friend who was a hiring manager at a store and she said, you know, you can train people on just about anything, but you can't train integrity and character. And so the idea of like, yeah, praying for someone who is humble and teachable and the type of person, you know, because again, you know, Greg, you're our vice president of marriage here. You know, there are lots of things that couples can go to and things they can avail themselves of and mentors and stuff to get the the nuts and bolts of like how to do marriage right. and like practical things. But if you're working with someone who doesn't really, you know, give a rip about you or they're just all selfish <laughs> or they don't have integrity and stuff, then you're kind of working with bad raw materials right. in that sense. So I often am r- reminded too about how like when young adults, you know, come to me and they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I want them to be this, 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 and this. And I, I, I say there's a difference between, you know, some things you're just going to learn through life, like what you should expect as a 30 something in a spouse, maybe who's never been married, is different from what a 21-year-old should expect as far as maturity and life skills and stuff like that. So I think keeping a realistic perspective in that seems to be pretty helpful as well. It really does. Mm -hmm. And I think it also builds such an important habit for marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, praying together, prayer itself within a marriage is so powerful. They've done so many studies trying to isolate. What, What are those important kind of spiritual components that that make for a strong marriage and really what they found come down to two things one is uh, building community through your local church and how important it is as a couple to have community especially with believers Mm -hmm. that you're doing life with and they understand you and they're you all want the same thing Mm -hmm. but but prayer was actually the the biggest one Mm -hmm. that that the couple's willingness um, to consistently pray with each other mm-hmm. um, it is such an important part of a great marriage. So by you praying for your spouse, you're, you're actually developing that habit, mm-hmm. which will carry right into your marriage, which sets you up for, for great success. So Greg, in the clip, you talked about building a habit of prayer before getting married. And that can be really hard to sustain once you are married. Why? Just life takes over. We get busy. We're exhausted at the end of the day. Is usually when Aaron and I would pray together. And, you know, with young kids, job, all of that, it just, it, it's hard to do that. I think for me, one of the things that I try to remember, not only is there a, a unity and oneness that comes from praying together, but really, honestly, 
it's a part of what helps to keep me current and updated mm-hmm. with what's going on in Aaron's life. Yeah. And it's just a great reminder to be able to say, hey, what's something that I can pray for you about tomorrow? Yeah, there's a vulnerability mm-hmm. there. There's an intimacy that occurs. And honest, if I'm praying for Dina, I find I can't really easily get mad at her for something, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because I'm praying for her. I, mean, oh, I get God mad all do... the time. That yeah. does nothing for me. Oh, okay. It's well. so unifying <laughs> and it's vulnerable, like you're saying. So it's basically that you're offering that deep part of yourself to mm-hmm. your spouse, your heart. And there's a, a deep spiritual unity that comes as a result of coming together before God. And the result of it is clear but through the research yeah. of the impact it has on a marriage. Well, and I'll, I'll, we were off mic uh, talking about how Dina and I were prayer partners as we started to date. That was intentional on my part, A, because I really loved that spiritual side of her, and B, I thought if we hang out and pray together, maybe we'll grow closer. And to this day, we are the closest, um, generally speaking, when we're consistently praying together. And I'm so glad that's still part of the love story. All right, so we want to share some more love stories with you as we continue on. My husband planned ahead of time to propose to me. He gave me scuba diving lessons for a Christmas gift the year that we met. And in July, we drove down to Florida to a site where, as we punched down in scuba diving terminology, as we punched down, he got down on one knee, but I didn't realize that was the case, and handed me a piece of paper that said, will you marry me? And as I looked at it with the scuba diver mask on, breathing, was screaming in my head, but there's no words to be said. I felt a tap on the shoulder and looked up, and he shrugged his shoulders, well, yes or no. Uh, Of course, no words, and um, I nodded a, a smiling yes as I was breathing oxygen through the mask. We both looked at each other, you know, smiled, uh, our eyes crinkled as best we could see each other, and took off the mask, had an underwater kiss, and we were engaged. And we've been married 28 years as of this year. My now wife and I were in uh, Sedona, Arizona, and we were going to um, a natural arch, and we did what's called a double balanced repel where you just throw the rope over the arch and one person repels off one side and the other person repels off the other side and we're dangling there and I said hey hang on for a second so she uh, stopped and I threw my rope over and we swung together and and uh, I explained I was like hey this is a really cool example of marriage you know we're dependent on each other's weight we're dependent on each other for survival here and without one we can't do this so we're together and then we're hanging off the rock which is Christ and just to build our foundation on that and I said will you marry me and she said yes my husband is a private pilot so he flies as a hobby he wanted to take me flying and take me out to dinner maybe over to the coast or something so we went flying for a while and he he looks over at me says hey will you read something for me if I look over and at his parents' house, they own an airport, and on the runway, he had gone up earlier in the week, they had wrote, will you marry me on the runway in huge, huge, huge letters. And I looked at it, and I read it, and I said, will you marry me? Yes, 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 I'll marry you. My husband Mike and I had been dating for about eight months. I had been a widow with seven children for almost six and a half years. 
when God brought us together. He had been talking to my teenagers in regards to his intentions for me. We were out on a date, took a spontaneous walk, and he asked me to marry him without even a ring in hand because it was just a bright moment. And we've been married almost eight years now, and he's my second Mr. Wright because my first Mr. Wright went to be with the Lord after a brief battle of cancer. So I was grateful that God brought the second Mr. Wright into my life. It was our very first date. We'd been friends for five years, and I had been secretly in love with him and truly prayed that God would bring us together, and he had done the same without my knowledge as well. And I didn't date at the time. It had been about six years God made it clear that I was to marry someone, that if he was asking me out on a date, it was very serious. I prayed that he indeed would propose and bring the ring that night. And sure enough, he did. He got down on one knee and um, proposed and told me all the reasons why he respected me and loved me and felt God was bringing us together. And so on December 2nd, 2000, we got married. My husband-to-be, it was his birthday, and I wanted to take him out to a nice dinner, and he just insisted that we go to Chinese. So we went to a Chinese restaurant, and when our fortune cookies came, I opened mine, and it said, Tana, will you marry me? So that was the beginning of, we've been married for 17 years now. My husband proposed um, on the beach. He first asked me out on the beach, and so it was fitting that he would propose to me on the beach. Um, we went down one Saturday evening close to sunset, and we walked on the beach for just a couple of minutes. And then I noticed um, a bottle on the shore. I said, oh, look, there's a note in the bottle. And he said, why don't you open it up and see what it says? And so when I was opening it up, and I started to read it, and it said, will you marry me on it? And it was like looked like it had um, burnt edges on it, like it was an old scroll or something. But anyway, he bent down and asked me to marry him, and of course I said yes. I proposed to my Lisa on Christmas Day, 2004. It was late in the evening. We were over at my parents' house, and all the gift-giving and family get-together, so we're over at that time, and I suggested we go for a little ride. But I wanted to stop by our church first. I'm the choir director at my church. So I went inside the building and did some arranging, and then I gave her a call on her cell phone while she was out in the car. So she comes into the sanctuary where it's completely dark, except for two huge white Christmas trees up at the front of the church lit up. I'm standing by the front pew of our sanctuary. So she walks down the aisle that we will be walking down in future months as husband and wife uh, walks down to me where I'm there with two lit candles and a crystal globe angel music box playing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So at that point I proposed my love to her and I dropped to one knee and asked her to marry me and she said yes. And at that time we got up and knelt by the railing by the altar and prayed for our future together. Well, I've mentioned uh, here before that I really didn't propose to Dina officially. I just sort of, we went from if we get married to when we get married, and it remains somewhat of a bone of contention. But it is fun to hear creative stories. I hold no ought against people who have great proposal stories. You need to go and 
on your. But what if she says no? Then then I'm stuck. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you've heard you. I mean, you have counseled so many couples, and you've hung around with so many people. Uh, pick a good story and, and share it here. You know, one of my favorites is our daughter Taylor and her husband Caleb. Caleb went above and beyond, and they got engaged around this pristine lake. And the really cool thing is that he included us because he knew how important Taylor's family was Mm -hmm. to her. So we were kind of back in the background. She didn't know we were there. And he got down on one knee and proposed. But he had a drone that taped the whole thing, that filmed the whole thing. So their, their engagement video is awesome. We were actually behind this big, huge rock off to the side. So Taylor had no idea that we were up there. And so when he got down on bended knee and and you could tell she accepted their hugging. Then we all popped out from behind this big rock cheering. And then what we didn't know, there were other people who had kind of hiked up who were also watching. Yeah. And so as Caleb asked her and she said, yes, we all were cheering and high-fiving. It was such a fun memory. And so these hikers are coming up and they're seeing it and they're participating in, they're celebrating with y'all. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. We'll never forget it. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. Well, whether you've been married for decades or you're hoping to get married in the near future, we've got a lot of great resources here at Focus on the Family to help. You'll find a new book from our friend Pastor Ted Cunningham called A Love That Laughs, which has some terrific advice for bringing laughter into your marriage. I hope you can sense that we all enjoy the laughter in our marriages. And that book is available for pre-order on our website And if you and your spouse would enjoy a chance to have some fun, quality time with each other, we do have Focus on the Family Marriage Weekend Getaways. Uh, They happen throughout the year in beautiful Branson, Missouri, and they're designed to be a time of refreshment and emotional connection for you and your spouse. You can find details about the weekend getaway and the book. Uh, We've got links in the show notes. Next week on Loving Well... What I did is when I decided I wanted to share this message of happy wives around the world and what makes a marriage not just good, we know enough about what makes a marriage good. I wanted to know what makes a marriage great, and that's what I set out to do. That's Fawn Weaver, and she'll be sharing lessons she's learned from interviewing couples around the world. For now, I'm John Fuller, and on behalf of Greg and Aaron Smalley and the entire team here at Focus on the Family, Thanks for listening to the Loving Well Podcast.